Here's what I want to do tonight. If you, uh, I think most of y'all were here last night, and uh, so I, I sort of gave you the theme for the weekend. We're talking about the gospel and relationships. Um, and I realized last night that sometimes we use that word gospel, and um, you don't really, you've heard it a lot, we say it a lot, but what does that mean? Here's the gospel in a nutshell, okay? I love nutshell, nutshell definitions. Here's one of my favorite nutshell definitions of the gospel, and it's this, and it's worth writing down. It's, the gospel is that you are so bad that Jesus had to die for you, but that you are so loved, Jesus was glad to die for you. You are so bad that Jesus had to die for you. That was the only way you could ever be made right with God, is for Jesus to intercede. We said last night, he became the propitiation for your sins. What in the world does that word mean? That word means literally to turn away something. So part of what Jesus is doing at the cross is he's turning away the, wrath, the just wrath of the Father against you and against me for your sin and my sin. But you were so loved. That's one. If you don't, by the way, if you don't get that side, like if you're here tonight and you kind of think about yourself, you're like, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. You know, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. Part of the danger of that is you don't know yourself very well. C.S. Lewis used to love to say, you never know how bad you really are until you try really, really hard to be good. So you know how you can start with that? Start with the Ten Commandments. And that's the list for you. You know, if you've ever tried really, really hard to keep all ten of those commandments, that's how you begin to know just how sinful you are. If you don't get how sinful you are, then you'll never get on the other hand that not only are you so bad that Jesus had to die for you, but that you're so loved, he was glad to die for you. Paul says literally in Galatians 2, he says, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Martin Luther used to say, uh, part, of what's, part of what happens for you guys, because I'm assuming a lot of you guys have grown up in the church, is Luther used to talk for a long time. He'd heard of all these things about the gospel, but he said he never understood what he called the personal pronouns of the gospel. And what he meant by that was that Jesus died for my sins. A lot of you, that's where you are. You believe that Jesus died for sins. You've heard that. Like you, like, listen, we drive around South Carolina and we see the billboards like John 3.16. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. But what's, there's a disconnect for some of you there. Because the gospel hasn't become personal. Where you can look at the cross and say, not only did Jesus, Jesus die for sins, but he died for my sins. He died for me. Like me. So that's the gospel. But what I want to do tonight, we talked about the gospel and functional saviors or idols last night. What I want to do tonight is talk about the gospel and your friends. So we're talking about friendship tonight. And what I want to do is uh, if you brought a Bible or if you have an iPhone, go with me to 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, which I think most of you know. And 1 Samuel, we're going to look at um, chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 5. So 1 Samuel 18, um, 1 to 5. And this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. You've heard maybe a fair amount about David. But do you know much about Jonathan? 
Um, Jonathan was an incredible friend to David. And I, I'm going to look at this passage and kind of think about what does the Bible have to say to us about friendship and about what it means to be a good friend. And we're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel 18. Let me read verses 1 to 5. Now, you know the story. Saul is the king. But then David has been anointed through Samuel as the, 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 the real king. And Saul has heard about this. And so Saul has been trying to kill. Like he, Saul hates David. And Saul has been trying to kill David. And Jonathan is Saul's son. And so you would think Jonathan, the son of Saul, would hate David. But then look at what we read about. Because he didn't hate him. He was an incredible friend. Look at this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this, that's David, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan, look, listen to this, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. This would be like you giving your friend your iPhone. <laughs> And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Well, let me pray for us. Um, I'm going to pray especially tonight. I know you guys have had a long day, and so I know y'all are tired. So I'm going to try to be brief tonight. Um, but let's pray as we enter into this time. Think about friendship uh, tonight. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we know that you, you gave us your word because you love us and you care about us. And Jesus, I pray that you would, um, Lord, you know that we're, we're tired and you know that um, some of us have had a very long day. Um, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would, um, as much as physically and humanly possible, help us to turn our attention um, to your word and to what you would have to say to us tonight. Lord, I pray in particular, some, sometimes when we're listening to a talk, it's so easy for us um, to drift and it's so easy for us to think about how this applies to other people. Lord, I really pray um, for myself and for my friends that you would help us to actually really take your word to heart. Lord, you tell us that how can a young man or a young woman keep her way pure and it's that we would hide your word in our hearts. And Lord, how can we hide our word in your hearts if we can't listen and apply it to ourselves? And Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen and to apply it to our own lives, especially as we think about the kind of friends that we are to our friends. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Um, okay, so uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I always hate that question, like if I'm meeting someone for the first time. I, I get it all the time when someone says, so what, tell me about your hobbies. Like literally I had a student who came to uh, RUF for the first time last week and he was like, so what are your hobbies? And I always feel really lame because I don't really have hobbies. Like Twitter is kind of my hobby, which is a pretty sad hobby. Uh, like I'm not, like when I think about my life, like I think about myself as an avid indoorsman. Like I'm not outdoorsy in the least. Um, so my hobbies revolve around doing things indoors like Twitter or music. I'm a big fan of music or movies. I love movies. And um, one of my favorite movies of all time, which almost feels a little cliche to say, and maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but it's a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. It's a pretty famous movie for a lot of different reasons. But part of why I love that movie, if you know the story at all, it's about this guy, Andy, played by Tim Robbins, who sort of unjustly goes to prison. But while he's in prison, he actually becomes friends with this group of guys 
But especially this one guy, Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman. Uh, if I was rich enough, I would long to have Morgan Freeman read me a bedtime story every night to go to bed. I guess his voice is uh, incredibly soothing. But I love the story of their friendship. That's really what Shawshank is about. Shawshank is about how Red and Andy, these two people from very different walks of life, Andy is this incredibly rich white banker. Red is this, this guy, who kind of this black guy who grew up in the streets, who ended up murdering a guy. And here they are, and you would think the last two people you would ever expect in like the, the 20s and 30s to become friends become friends inside these walls of Shawshank Prison. And I love their friendship. It's a friendship marked by incredible faithfulness to one another so that when Andy actually gets out, he provides for Red to come. When he gets out, to be friend, you know, to reunite their friendship together. I just I love because here's the reality about you and me is we long for friendships like that. Here's, I don't know much about you. Like, I don't know what your hobbies are, most of you. But I know one thing about you that is deeply true. And it's this, because it's deeply true about me. And here it is. That you long to, for someone to fully know you. To know the real you. Not the Facebook you. Not the, you know, high school, how I, up here in the halls you. Not the Twitter you. But the real you and yet fully love you and say, I know everything about you and I'm not going anywhere. And that's why I love Shawshank. That's why we love Shawshank because that's the kind of friendship we see. And this is the kind of friendship in 1 Samuel 18 that we see. And very unlikely friendship where two people are saying, you, you saw where it says their souls were so knit together that they not only fully knew each other, but they fully loved each other. So there are three things that I think that I want you to see tonight about what this passage teaches us about friends, what it means to be a good friend. Um, there are kind of three things I want you to see. First is why we need friends. First, why we need friends. Second, uh, what, a, uh, what is a good friend? What makes a good friend? And then lastly, what I want you to see is uh, how Jesus is the best friend. So first, why we need friends. Second, what makes someone a good friend? What makes you a good friend? And then lastly, uh, how Jesus is the best friend, okay? So first thing with you for a second about why we need friends. Because here's the reality. Some of you don't think you do. This is why for some of you, video games are so attractive. Like, I've never been a gamer, uh, except for a time in college where I loved NCAA football. But I did have some brief kind of flirting moments with Call of Duty. When it came. The reason I'm not a gamer, I'm just going to be honest, is I suck at first-person shooter games. Like, if we were to go home tonight and play a first-person shooter, like, I would be, I would hands down be the first, like, I would be the first guy out. It happens every time. Like, when I was growing up with my friends, we would play GoldenEye all the time. And I was, without fail, I loved it, but I was always the first guy out. Because I'm just terrible, terrible, terrible at first-person shooters. But this is one of the draws for us. Is that we, that friendship is hard, and some of us ask ourselves the question, is it worth it? Some of us have been burned by friends. Some of us have had friends, you know, who, who, who said one thing to our back, who said one thing to our face, but another thing behind our back. You ever heard the old definition of gossip and flattery? I love it. The gossip is, is uh, you say something behind someone's back you would never say to their face, and flattery is you say something to someone's face that you would never say behind their backs. And a lot of us have had that experience. People that have gossiped about us, that we thought loved us, people that have undermined us, that have been incredibly selfish toward us. And, uh, but the reality is, so some of us, is, is friendship even worth it? What I want you to see is that, yes, it is. And here's why it is. Is that you are actually made by God for friendship. It's actually part of the way you were made. How do I know that? Let's go back to Genesis 2, the very beginning. 
In Genesis 2.18, what does God say about man? Do you remember the story of Genesis 1 and 2? So here's Genesis 1, and God's creating everything, right? And you remember how he's creating things? And he creates, he creates like the sky, he's like, it is good. He creates the water, it is good. He creates the vegetables and the plants, and it is good. And he creates the sun, and it is good. And the stars, and it is good. I'm not in the right order, but you're tracking with me. Everything is good, 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 good. And there's one thing that's not good. Do you remember it? After he makes Adam, he says it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And he's not just talking about marriage. Because Adam, because Eve is actually the first, Adam is not only Adam, Eve is not only Adam's wife, Eve is Adam's friend. And part of what God is saying is that you were made by him for friendship, for community. You were made by him, let me say it a different way. You were made by him to need other people. That none of us are Batman. I love Batman. Batman is my, like my son and I are doing this thing right now where we're watching, my son is six and we're watching Batman, the animated series. It is the best. Batman, the anime series from 1992 to 95 is the best. I will die on this. It is the best TV series still ever. It's just incredible. But the problem with Batman is he is so alone. He has no... He's like awesome. He's got ladies. He's got cars. He's Bruce Wayne. He's rich. He beats up bad guys. He's got all these incredible gadgets and toys. Like that incredible belt, you know, like where he's just got like, like all kinds of stuff in there. But you know what he doesn't have? Friends. No friends. Other than his butler. Right? Alfred. That's it. He's a loner. And that's not the way we're meant to live. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's why we need friends. And you actually have... Here's what's interesting. And you've maybe heard this before. But you and I, we all actually have like a tattoo on ourselves. A tattoo of sorts that reminds us of this. A mark that reminds you and me that we weren't meant to live alone. And it's our belly buttons. <laughs> that was kind of weird. I'm not going to show you mine. I've got a pretty deep, I've got a pretty deep belly button. Let's just say I've got a super any that you will not see because that would just be awkward. But every time I see my belly button, every time you see your belly button, whatever it looks like, we don't have to do that. You keep that to yourself. Just don't Instagram that later. <laughs> But it is a reminder to you that you came from somewhere, that you came from parents, and you need people. You were not meant to be alone. Um, and there are three reasons for that, okay? Three reasons I think the Bible says that we need friends. I'll do them real quickly because we keep going. But three reasons we need what, why we need friends. Here's the first. We need friends who speak to us. We need friends. You and I need, you need friends who speak words of encouragement to you. When you're afraid. You need friends who speak words of comfort to you. When you're sad or anxious. And you need friends and I need friends that speak words of rebuke to you. When you're being a jerk. When you're being a jerk. Or when you're being stupid. You need, you and I need that. Um, that's why if you ever read Proverbs, Proverbs got all kinds of just incredible things to say about friendship. But I've always loved Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is part of how you know someone is a good friend to you, is they're not afraid to say hard things to you. This past summer, I've got a guy who's one of my best friends. 
And um, he said some really hard things to me. Like he literally took me out to dinner and uh, when we just kind of talked that night, then he called me the next morning and said, Sammy, I've been, I've been wanting to say some of these things to you for a long time. And he basically told me that I was, that I was being a bad husband and I was being a bad father and that I needed to make some serious changes in my life. And I hate, for a minute I was like, so, I was on the one hand hurt and I was on the one hand mad because his timing wasn't great. But you know what? Those words actually brought about needed change in my life. And do you know how I know he's one of my best friends still? It's because he was willing to speak hard words to me. And I needed that. And you need that. So you need friends who speak to you. But also, too, you need friends who listen to you. You need friends who speak to you. You also need friends who listen to you. Uh, you need friends who, who resist two of the twin evils of friendship, okay? On the one end, you need friends who resist what I'm going to call self-promotion. Like, have you ever, have you ever seen uh, Brian Regan's um, Me Monster, his Me Monster uh, bit, where he talks about that's how we do? Well, you know, like, you know, and it's Toby Keith's, like, I want to talk about me. I don't know country very well, but that's, like, the one song I know. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about everything, you know, my mean mind, what I want, what I like, what I, whatever it is. And that's what you and I do. So the one hand, you need someone who restrains from bringing everything. You have friends, maybe you are the friend, who brings everything back to themselves. It's like you're saying something to them, and all they can think about is them. They do the me monster thing. And on the other hand, the other twin evil is the idea of so self-promotion. But the other hand, the other twin evil is what I'm going to call self-protection. <clears throat> you have friends sometimes that do this thing, and maybe you do this thing, where you're in a conversation... And you know, maybe, maybe it's even someone you consider a good friend, and you're kind of pouring out your heart to them, and they're like, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. And they do that thing where they're, you can tell they're trying with everything in them to not check their phone. <laughs> and that's one of the most like, comforting things is when someone checks their phone first. You're like, oh, I can check mine too. And they're trying with everything in them, but, but self-protection, they don't, you can tell they don't want to get too involved. They don't want to get too involved or they don't want to care too much because it means they're going to have to do something and they're going to have to, they're going to have to sacrifice. So you need friends who resist both of those things. Who can, when, they're talk, when you're talking pour your heart into them, they don't make it about themselves and they don't protect themselves. They enter into, they enter into what you're going through. Okay? That's why Paul says in Galatians 6 too, he says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. <clears throat> I had a student. This was a hard conversation this week. <clears throat> so I've done campus ministry for <clears throat> seven years. I said that last night. But I've got a student in my ministry right now. He's, he's a senior. Um, but we've been together for almost two years now. And he's the guy that will do anything and everything. He's in my music team. And he'll do anything and everything for me and for the ministry. So we're having this conversation. And I kind of come, come to find out he's having a really hard time, especially with girls. And he says to me, I think part of what um, is going on with me is I really feel like people use me. And I really feel like people don't ever take the time to get to know me or listen to me. And as he's saying that, like I had that moment where I was like, oh, crap. Like I've been doing that. And so I said, I said his name. I said, I just want to apologize because I feel like I've done that. Like I feel like I've I've only ever gotten in touch with you when I need something from you, not just to listen to you or get to know you. And he actually said, and this cut me to my heart, he actually said, yeah, it's funny that you say that. He said, it was a running joke last year that the only time Sammy ever called me was when he needed something from me. 
And I was like, oh, I am the worst. And so I apologized again. And now the, the challenge for me is, do I love him? Do I want to know him? Do I want to take the time to listen to his story? To listen to his stuff, right? But he needs that. And I need that. So we need people who speak to us. We need friends who listen. But then the last thing, we need friends who fellowship with us. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about friendship. He's got some of the best stuff in his book, The Four Loves. Listen to what he says. He says, friendship is born in that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Friendship, listen to what he says, friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Or J. Crew, or you know, Skyrim, or Bond movies, or horseback riding, or I don't know what it. But you know, you see what he's saying. He says friendship happens. This happens for you. Like this is why some of your friends, when you're like, "What you like that band too? Like what you like that movie too? Or what you like that comedian too? Or what you like that?" And that's where friendship is born. Because you have, here's the deal about friendship is you have to have something to be friends around. Friendship, if you're trying to be friends just to be friends, it doesn't work. You have to have something you can fellowship around. Now, as Christians, you and I know, this is part of why my wife and I, sometimes people look at my wife and I, and they're like, how in the world did y'all two end up together? Because we have such vastly different interests. Like, she loves Taylor Swift. She's going to her concert. I think Taylor Swift is the worst. So, sorry. I'm just saying. I mean, not, well, okay. She loves music that, like, is on 104.7. I love music that's, like, nowhere near the radio. She loves romp, romantic comedies. I love, like, depressing dark, dark movies. She loves, like, you know, organic food. I love Wendy's, as we well established last night. She, I mean, we're very different people. She's more of a people person. I'm more of an introvert. But you know what we have in common? That's kind of a small thing, but his name is Jesus. We have Jesus in common. And this is why as Christians, this is part of how you, and this is where I'm kind of trying to challenge you guys a little bit, is as Christians, one of the most beautiful testimonies to the gospel is when you're friends with someone who is incredibly different than you. Listen to me. And hear this. If you don't hear anything else tonight, that's what I want you to hear. If you are not friends with people who are very different than you, you have not begun to understand the gospel. Because you know who's very different than you? Jesus. But do you know who is the most incredible friend in your life? Jesus. The gospel makes you friends with people that you would otherwise never be friends with. Why? Because you know you're a sinner. You know you're so bad, Jesus had, you're not better than anybody. You're not better than the guy who likes that band. You're not better than the guy who wears those clothes. You're not better than the girl who drives that car. You're not better than the girl who has that boy. You can't be better than anybody. Which means you can't be, you can't not be friends with anybody. You see what, you see what I'm saying? So first, why we need friends, but then second, think with for a second about what makes a good friend. We're going to move through this pretty fast, and this is where we kind of get um, into the idea of the passage. And there are two things I think this passage says about what makes a good friend. Okay, so on the one hand, why we need friends. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see: you need a Jonathan. You need a Jonathan in your life, someone who loves you well, who speaks words of encouragement, rebuke, who listens to you, who fellowships with you. But the second thing, what makes a good friend, and here's what you see, is there are two things. 
There are two things I want you to see that, that, make, that this passage says makes a good friend. And here they are. Here's the first one. Good friends always let you in. Good friends always let you in. In other words, the key word, the key idea is vulnerability. Now, this is where part of what is incredible about this passage, and we've said it, is that David should have been the last person in the world Jonathan loved or was friends with because David was his competitor. Literally, Jonathan was the son of Saul, so he was the heir to the throne. Do you see this? But David had swooped in, and David was going to take over the throne. So if you were just looking at this from afar, from like a business point of view, Jonathan should have hated David. And yet what he did was he made himself incredibly vulnerable to David. To the point where not only did he give his heart, he knit his soul to David, but he literally took his armor and all the things that made him the son of Saul, and he gave it to David. He literally stripped. He stripped himself of his armor, of his bow, of his sword, and he gave it to David, his friend. He made himself Vulnerable, And that's what good friends always do. Good friends always make themselves vulnerable. So here's the question for you. Do you let your friends into your struggles? Do you let your friends into what you're really thinking and feeling? Do you let your friends into the most painful parts of your life that have happened to you? Are you vulnerable? Uh, I love the story of R.A. Dickey. Uh, he's a baseball player. Uh, he's one of the last guys that throws the knuckleball. And, um, and he's got this incredible story where he wrote a book where he says for 23 years of his life, he told no one, not including his wife, that he was sexually abused for a long period of his life when he was little. Basically, there was a babysitter that took advantage of him for a period of years. And he said, I kept that in forever and forever and forever. I never even told my wife, who's supposed to be the friend of friends. And listen to what he said in this interview. He said this. And this is what I resonate with and you resonate with. This is why we're not vulnerable. Here's what he said. He said, I always feared if someone knew the real me, they would run the other way. But he said, through therapy, I learned that therapy helped me to see that I could trust people, that there were others who could hold my story well. And I love that line. I love both of those thoughts. On the one hand, why you and I aren't vulnerable is because we're terrified that anyone could know the real us and not run the other way. That's why you don't tell your friends about your struggles. That's why you don't tell your friends about your your innermost thoughts and feelings. But there are people that can hold our story well, that can know us and love us. So first, good friends always let you in, but here's the second part, is good friends never let you down. See that? Good friends always let you in. There's vulnerability, but good friends never let you down. There's constancy. Uh, they're, they're, they're there through thick and thin. That's the other thing about this passage you have to see is not only did Jonathan literally strip himself and make himself vulnerable and give his stuff to David, but he also made a covenant with David, which is a fancy way of saying if this was our Facebook invitation, he wouldn't have said maybe. He would have said, yes, I'm going. There was commitment there. There was a, there was a deep sense of promise that regardless of how he felt, that regardless of what he wanted, that he was going to commit himself to David and he was going to do everything in his power, whether he felt like it or not, whether he was in the mood or not, or regardless of whatever he wanted to do that day, to be a friend to David. And this is what good friends do. Good friends are constant. You can count on them. When they say they're going to do something, they do it. They keep their promises. Their yes means yes, and their no means no. Um, this is why I love Lord of the Rings, and I love the friendship. I mean, this is why Samwise Gamgee is like the best friend ever. 
Because you remember when Frodo, through thick and thin, Samwise is a faithful friend. That he never lets Frodo down, regardless of where they are, regardless of how mad Frodo gets at him, regardless of how poorly he treats him. Sam is there through thick and thin to the to the door to the walls to the you know to Mordor with Frodo. And that's a, just a picture. That's why we love part of why we love Lord of, Lord, of, Lord of the Rings is we see that beautiful friendship and we long for that. Friends who are that constant and friends who are that faithful. Now here's the reality. And I hope as you listen to this, you had this thought. You and I have been terrible friends. You, you have been a, a terrible friend. You've been a bad friend. You haven't let others in because you're too afraid of what they think of you. And you've let others down because you are so selfish. You would rather, you would rather, you're the, some of you are the people who are like, oh, you guys are going to Zaxby's? I don't like Zaxby's. So I, you, you guys just go ahead without me. Like, we are selfish to the core. And you and I have been terrible friends. We've, we haven't let people in. We've let people down. And so is there any hope for us at all? Is there any hope that we could ever become a good friend? And here's what I think this last thing I want you to see is that, yeah, I think there is. But it's going to come through Jesus, you, you learning and living with Jesus as your best friend. This is the last thing I want you to see is how Jesus is the best friend. And we're going to move quickly through this. How is Jesus the best friend? Because you are never going to become a good friend until Jesus is your best friend. And until Jesus is your best friend, you will be a crappy friend. But why, how do you know that Jesus is your best friend? And there are two scenes in Jesus' life that show you the kind of friend he is to you. That he really is the friend of sinners. There are two scenes. One is the cross. What happens at the cross? What, if I were to ask you the question, how... Does someone make themselves? When is someone at their, at their most vulnerable? This when they do this. When I do this, I am most exposed. There is nothing like this is when I'm. But when I do this, I am completely exposed and vulnerable to the world and to everything. And part of what you have to see is when Jesus does this on the cross. You know what he's doing? He's making himself vulnerable. He's saying, I am so vulnerable that I have taken, I have taken to myself all of the punishment of your sins. I, I know every bad thing about you. How do I know? Because I'm dying for it. And if Jesus knows every bad thing about you and still loves you, if he knows every bad thing about you, when Paul says again that the Son of Man loved me and gave himself for me, if he knows every bad thing about you and still loves you, he's the only one that does that. He's the only one who can say, I know every bad thought you've ever had. He's the only one who can say, I know every selfish motive you've ever had. I know every bad thing you've ever done. I know every good thing you should have done that you didn't do because you were a selfish jerk. And yet I gave myself for you because I love you. So on the one end of the cross, he make, Jesus lets us in. He lets us in. But then the second place is the garden. And you know the garden where Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane? And remember he prays, he says, Father, please let this cup. He knows what's coming. What does it mean for Jesus to drink the cup? Do you understand the metaphor? All throughout the Old Testament, Jesus, the Father, God was saying, I'm going to make my enemies drink the cup of my wrath. That's what the metaphor from the Old Testament was. That there was this cup of God's wrath. It was full of God's wrath. And God was going to make his enemies drink it down to the bottom of the cup. 
And that's the cup Jesus is talking about. He, he sees the cup. It's the cup of the Father's wrath against your sin and my sin. And he says, Father, that is going to be awful. There's going to be separation from you. There's going to be hell, literally. And he says, Father, please, please let this cup pass for me. But then what does he say? But not my will be done, your will be done. You know what's interesting about that passage, by the way? Do you remember that passage? Where literally Jesus has brought his friends. And he's like, hey guys, can you guys just do one thing while I'm like pouring my soul out? Can you guys just pray for me? And you remember what happens? They go to sleep. And remember he comes to them a second time. And he's like literally sweating blood. And he says, like this is the worst anxious depressed moment of his life. And he says, guys, can you, will you please just, just wake for like an hour and just pray for me? And they, they fall asleep again. But you know what? Jesus, they let Jesus down, but Jesus didn't let them down. And what I want you to see is that Jesus didn't, if Jesus didn't say, you know what, this is too much, then he's not going to say it now. If Jesus went through the garden to the cross for you, Jesus is going to, he's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's why Proverbs says there's a friend who sticks closer than the brother, and it's Jesus. That Jesus always lets you in. He knows everything bad about you, but Jesus never lets you down. He's not going anywhere in your life. He loves you through thick and through thin. I'm going to close with this. I've, so you've heard this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again because I love it. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Iron Giant. Um, it's a movie that I watch with my kids over and over and over again. And the basic story is there's this robot that comes from space that becomes friends with this little boy in this small town. And they develop this weird friendship. And it's set in the 60s when some of us don't really understand the 60s. That there was this kind of Cold War going on between Russia and the U.S., so the U.S. military hears about this robot, this giant, and they think, okay, this giant must be some kind of Russian military spy, so we're going to do everything in our power to get rid of this giant. And so the way the movie goes is the boy and the giant have become best friends, and, and yet the military is after this giant, and the military has, has sent all these troops and tanks to kill this giant, and they've chased this giant into the middle of the town square, and there's this one general in particular who is just bent on killing the giant. He's brought this nuclear missile. And without thinking, all of the people of this small town have gathered into this town square. And without thinking, this, this crazy general fires the missile into the air. And they, without thinking that when the missile comes back and kills the giant, it's not just going to kill the giant. It's going to kill all of the people around the town square. And the giant knows this. And he looks at the missile... And he looks at the people, and then he looks at the little boy, his friend, and then the giant flies off into the air, and he flies off to the very top of the sky, and he takes the missile, and right before he takes the missile to himself, he smiles, literally he takes the missile, and he smiles, and then he brings it to himself, and he explodes into a thousand pieces. And every time I watch the Iron Giant with my kids, I literally have gotten to a point where I say this, I say, guys, that is the picture of Jesus. Hebrews 12 says about Jesus that for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And I say to my kids, what was that joy? That joy was you. That Jesus is such the friend of sinners that he was willing to make himself vulnerable to the pain and death and destruction. And he took it to himself that you and I might be spared, that you and I might be restored, that you and I might be forgiven. Now, here's the reality. Unless you get that about Jesus, you have no hope of being a good friend. But when you get that Jesus is the friend of sinners, he's your best friend, 
then you have hope to begin to be the kind of friend that Jesus has been to you. Let's pray.